Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ and welcome to Christ Church of Livingston County Teaching Ministry. Christ Church is a member of the Communion of Reformed Evangelical Churches, Tyndale Presbytery. The following audio recording is from a Covenant Renewal Liturgy at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. Since God is holy and we are not, we come to confess our sins early in the worship service. Uh, we're having the uh, second commandment reading uh, for the catechism later on in the, uh, the service, so we're taking that up as our call to confession. Exodus 20, verse 4. You shall not make for yourself any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down, down yourself to them nor serve them. Thus far the reading of God's word. The point of this uh, commandment is to not worship God through man-made objects. Uh, and we wonder, we often have uh, debates and uh, arguments about whether we should have Sunday school pictures of Jesus or movies that depict him. Those are good questions to ask. The main point of the commandment, though, is that our thoughts uh, and our worship of God should be directed by his word, not by our own thoughts or by others. We ought not to remake God uh, in our own image or how we want him to be. And we often do this to justify our sin. I think it was Voltaire who said he had lived a scandalous life, and at the end of it he was asked if he wasn't afraid of God's judgment. And, and he said, God, of course God will forgive me. That's his business. That's one way to remake God in your own image. Or uh, R.C. Sproul often uh, spoke of people who would say, my God would never send people to hell. Well, what's the difference between my God and the God of the Bible? We set aside, see, the God of the Bible. We need to let God speak in his word. Let God define himself and you and your sin and how to be free from that sin. He has done it all. So let's confess our own sins before God. I encourage you to kneel if you're able, and I'll pray our prayer of text today is Psalm 3. After a week uh, hiatus last week for Mother's Day, we're going back to the series on the Psalms. I'm going to go at least through Psalm 5 is my plan, and uh, then we have, I believe, Pentecost, Father's Day, those uh, events coming up as well. So Psalm 3 is the text for today. We're going to begin with the subtitle that you see at the top before verse 1. Hear God's infallible word. A psalm of David when he fled from Absalom his son. Lord, how they have increased who trouble me. Many are they who rise up against me. Many are they who say of me, there is no help for him in God. Selah. But you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory and the one who lifts up my head. I cried to the Lord with my voice and he heard me from his holy hill. Selah. I lay down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you have struck all my enemies on the cheekbone. You have broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongs to the Lord, 
Your blessing is upon your people. Selah. The grass withers, the flower fades, but this word of God stands forever. And God's people said, Amen. Let's pray. O Lord, open my mouth, open our hearts, that we may speak forth and hear your praise. Let none of your words fall to the ground, but plant them in our hearts, that your fruit may grow in our lives. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, it's springtime, and that means uh, in our house, at least for me often, it's bonfire season. We uh, have a little ring in the backyard and uh, put together a bonfire a couple nights ago. And it made me think once again of that verse from Job, uh, which is kind of a depressing verse, but one that fits the psalm quite well, right? That man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. And it was kind of windy a couple nights ago as I did the bonfire, the sparks were flying. And it, it, it's, a, it's a verse that, remember, that uh, is rather effective when you're sitting by a bonfire. We're born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. And that's what we have in this psalm, David in trouble. Uh, and his response to that. Uh, the theme is, in trials, or in troubles, we can trust God because he is true. So I went with the major alliteration here this week, three main points, trial, uh, trust, and truth. Many psalms of lament, and there are many of them, or, or complaint that David has, uh, that's the three main things going on. David will uh, mention the trouble, and then he'll... Uh, tell God that he trusts him, and then he'll say some truth about God that explains why he trusts him. That's the three points today. Well, on the subtitle first, the caption, uh, not sure what we call it exactly. Many psalms have them. It's part of the inspired text, and they're very helpful for context. Here, this one tells us it's of David directly. He wrote it, when he fled from Absalom, his son. So that's why we read from 2 Samuel 15. The story is actually much longer than that, and I'll be referencing uh, some of that story as we go. Uh, so you may want to have 2 Samuel 15, 16 uh, open in your Bibles as we go. But let's begin in verse 1 and 2, and we'll just simply exposit these eight verses of this psalm. Lord, how they have increased who trouble me. And if you remember from 2 Samuel 15, that's part of the point that it makes. The conspiracy of Absalom was growing and growing and growing. There were thousands. There were too many. David had to flee the city. He, he knew that he would not win in a battle against Absalom at that point. It's a large rebellion. And so David simply tells God what's going on. You even have it in, in the English in the first two verses there. The word many shows up three times. Many are they. Many are they. They've increased is the other example. Uh, so uh, many or most of David's advisors go with the popular Absalom. David flees the city. He even hears that his trusted advisor, Ahithophel, is on Absalom's side now. It's bad enough when your enemies dismay you, but when your friends discourage you or let you down, it's all the worse, right? When your friends say you can't do it, or they leave you, or they turn against you. And that's what David is having happen here. That's why we read from John 12. Jesus quotes that psalm. Even the one who's eaten bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. A close friend. 
and David has that. David also has other troubles later on in chapter 16 of 2 Samuel. Do you, do you remember the man Shimei? He's uh, quite the character, right? As David's procession is going out of Jerusalem, uh, Shimei shows up and, and screams at David and throws rocks and dust at all of his people. And one of David's uh, men says, can I just go over and kill him? And David says, no, let him, let him scream. Right? He, and, he's, and what is he saying? Uh, he, he says things like, get out of here. There's no help for you anymore. And I imagine David writing this psalm in between Shimei's outbursts. They increase who trouble me. Right? Shimei keeps shouting, you're a bloodthirsty tyrant. You murdered my family, the house of Saul. And you're getting what's coming to you now. That's the kind of thing Shimei was screaming at David as he had to flee from Absalom. That David says, they rise against me. They say, I have no help. The Psalms are very much tailored to what happened in David's life. And our prayers ought to be too. Tell God what's going on. Yes, he knows, but it's good for you to tell him. And it helps. It's, that's part of the point of prayer. So David's troubles have increased, but not only the numbers of the troubles, but his own son, right? Absalom, his own son, did not regard God. He trusted in his own popularity, in his own political maneuvering. So David's trouble is great, and he pours it out to the Lord. Now, uh, the son of David, Jesus, had many in enemies that increased too. And uh, that move I just did there is sometimes called the Jesus juke, right? Have you heard of that phrase? Well, let's just turn this to Jesus, whatever it is we're talking about. And oftentimes, it's, it's, there's no link there at all. I want to point out the link here a minute. It's in 2 Samuel uh, 15, verse 30, uh, where it's pointed out that David, fleeing the city, he goes across the Kidron Valley, and then he goes up the ascent of the Mount of Olives. And it's a direct uh, reverse course from Jesus' triumphal entry. When Jesus comes into the city, he goes down the Mount of Olives, across the Kidron Valley, into the city. Uh, so you have that same path that David and then the son of David take. One uh, very aware of his troubles, uh, and Jesus coming into the city, the people aren't aware of the trouble coming, but he was. Uh, and, uh, and, and Jesus, too, he has Judas betray him. Jesus has disciples forsake him as he's accused and condemned and executed. And as he's, he's hanging on the cross, what do they say? There's no help for him in God. In his hour of trial on the cross, they do the same thing Shimei did to David. Where's his help now? What you going to do now, Savior? Come down if you think you can. I don't know how appropriate it is to reproduce the blasphemous tone in a sermon like this, but I do it to make a point. The Psalms address us right where we live, at our deepest pain. It doesn't just ignore a world that derides and mocks us as followers of Christ. And we shouldn't just ignore that either. We, we ought to deal with the derision, and we have to deal with it the way God's Word tells us to deal with it. Well, that word help there, it's at the... Uh, where is it? Verse 2, the end of verse 2. There is no help for him in God. Uh, other translations say salvation. It's not just a general word help, it's salvation. And the, Jew, the Hebrew word is Jesus. It's Yeshua. Jesus' name means salvation. God saves. 
So it's, it, we can read this and say there is no Jesus for him. And that's really how the world sees us. That, that this, is the, this is the worldview of the ungodly. It, it's what Karl Marx said. Religion is the opiate of the masses. Right? There's really no help in that. It's just making them feel better about themselves. That's how much of the world sees us. Uh, we are pitied for our delusional faith. Uh, and that can lead to them pursuing us to be treated for our disease. And that happens sometimes in more hostile cultures. Sometimes it seems the whole world is against us. And it's not likely that we've had it as bad as David or Jesus. <laughs> but, we, but we do first need to see our problems rightly before God. We can get overwhelmed. And there are enemies not only outside but inside. We're discouraged ourselves. And we have to deal with the consequences of our own sin. David's dealing with that. Uh, David sins with Bathsheba a few chapters earlier in 2 Samuel. And he, he's dealt with it, he's forgiven, but he also has problems that come from it. Uh, violence will be part of his family, Nathan the prophet tells him, it is part of the, the, the complications uh, of his sin. Uh, I think a large part of mature godliness can be found right here in, in this paradox, this nexus of, of you are forgiven, but your sins are going to complicate your life and make for more work. You need to know that God forgives you. You also need, like God tells Cain at the beginning, you need to watch for that sin that's crouching at your door. You need to work against that. And so David is doing here. We fear there's, in our own inward enemies, we sometimes feel, we sometimes fear that there's nothing to this God business. What if I'm deceived? What if God won't help me? And, and when we're in that dark night of the soul, we need to remember that Jesus has been there too, knowing that God would not help him, but would forsake him, punish him on the cross for our sin. Jesus has walked further in that dark night than any of us. He knows it. And he prays the same uh, way that David does in this psalm. Again, every psalm, uh, imagine Jesus praying it. It, it um, opens whole new vistas in our spiritual life. Jesus, too, prays in this way. Many enemies against him, and they say there is no help for him in God. Uh, this is the trial, trouble section here, the first two verses. It ends with the word Selah, or Selah, or Salah. We don't really know how to say it. Uh, it it's part of the text, but we're uncertain what it means. Uh, some options are it could mean Amen. It could mean repeat. It could mean sing louder. Uh, the most common thought is that there's some kind of musical interlude going here so that we can pause and reflect. That's the, the most common uh, way it's interpreted. And that's why we use it, I use it at the end of our prayer of confession. Uh, right before we uh, pray silently, I'll say, Selah. That's the time to pause and reflect and confess our own sins. David is lingering in the song on his troubles. And we naturally do that too. Whenever we're in trouble, we think about that trouble a lot. <laughs> so that's what David is doing. He's pouring out his soul in grief to God. And it all resonates, it rings true with us. This, this is how life goes. This is how we respond in trouble. Well, David's trial uh, in, verses, in the first two verses give way to trust in verse 3. Uh, verse 3, but you, O Lord, are a shield for me. 
There's quite a few but you, O Lords, in the Psalms. And here's, uh, I think, the first one. It's a, a glorious thing. You pour out the trouble. It, it's a psalm of complaint, but it doesn't stop there. And it's not mostly that either. You, you quickly turn and say, but you, O Lord. And what does he say? You're a shield for me. God had told Abraham that God would be his shield. It's very possible that David is recalling that to mind. David has the text of Scripture. He knows the story of Abraham. Perhaps he's uh, calling out to God to be uh, uh, with him as God was with Abraham. But when you feel most vulnerable, when, when no defenses against hurtful foes, it's good to remember that Yahweh is your sure defense. And the preposition for here, it's literally around, right? You're a shield all around me, all around. Uh, as we sing, a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper, he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. That's what David is, is singing here. You are a shield about me, my glory, the lifter up of my head. God is the one who gives us triumph over trials. We rejoice in him after it's over. We give him the credit. We look to him in the midst of our trials as well. He's the lifter of my head. That's, that's a great poetic image. And it's not just poetic, is it? We hang our head in sorrow and dismay at times. Right? I've had this personally when I've gone through very difficult times. Uh, one or two really good friends who helped me, who encouraged me, literally said to me, Buck up. God is good. Lift up your head. Don't be dismayed. And you've got to say that at the right time in the right way, right? You don't want to just say to people, don't be sad. That's not the point. The point is, don't be dismayed. You can lift up your head because God is there. You can be encouraged even in the midst of troubles. It's that Barnabas-like quality in Christians, an ability to encourage other believers. I thought too of Psalm 24 as I read this phrase. David later calls on the gates of Zion to lift up their heads as the king of glory enters. Right? The king, David, had returned. David's glory had returned to Zion. But David says, who is this king of glory? In Psalm 24. Not me. Not David. Yahweh, strong and mighty. He is my glory. He is my shield. He lifts up my head. I don't do that by my own power or by my own smarts. I need God. And so I cry out to him, and he's my shield. He's the one who encourages. Verse 4, I cried to the Lord with my voice. He heard me from his holy hill. He call, calling out to God. The, the trial doesn't overwhelm, doesn't quench the trust that David has. He cries out to the Lord. Uh, the, the, the psalmist says elsewhere, I believed and therefore I spoke. Right? It's when we stop believing in God that we stop praying to Him, that we stop asking Him. When we go silent, that's when we know things are no good. But David cries out to God, and that's the cry of living faith. And we see, again, how David deals with derision. The first word of this psalm, after the introduction, the first word of the psalm is Lord, or Yahweh. Take your troubles to God. That's true of many psalms too, by the way. The very first word of many psalms is Yahweh. I heard a sermon once on Psalm 23. 
uh, and the, the sermon began, uh, I, was, I was dismayed, I was in trouble, I opened to, I just got to read Psalm 23. And the pastor said, I didn't get past the first two words, the Lord. <laughs> the, the most famous psalm starts out with just Yahweh. Before you even get to the fact that he's your good shepherd, Yahweh is the one who is. He is there. Take our troubles to him. It's good to pour out our soul to God instead of to try to be a super saint unmoved by trouble. We can wind up in bad places then, thinking, uh, even saying things like, everybody's against me. What's going on? Why is all this happening? There are poor ways to respond to trouble. Uh, Calvin has, has described one of them. He puts it this way, John Calvin. Nothing is more unbecoming than suddenly to gnaw the bit with which we are bridled, to withhold our groaning from God, to conceal them from him, if we have any faith in his promise. Very interesting. Uh, Calvin had a picturesque way of putting things sometimes. It's like we're a horse with a bridle. And, we, and we're bucking against it, and we don't like it, but we're not going to tell God about it either. We, we're just sullen. That, that's not where we want to be. No, we cry out to the Lord, uh, verse 4, with my voice. Why with my voice? David says this a lot. Uh, my cry you will hear early in the morning, right? Uh, our spirits and our bodies are meant to be united and in one accord. Uh, we aren't meant to do all of our spiritual activity in our thoughts, Right? We, this is something that we try to focus on here at Christ Church and in the CREC. Uh, as, as one wit likes to put it, uh, our, our heads are not just carrying cases for our brains, to, to take our brains to church so that our brains can do all the spiritual activity. Right? No, we kneel, we lift our hands, uh, we, uh, we, we involve the, the whole body in our worship with our voice, uh, David says. So, um, and I think this is the case, too, when we're praying to God, that more Christians ought to look like they're talking to themselves out in public. We ought to be meditating on God's word day and night. That word meditate means reciting in a murmuring kind of way, right? You ever go walking through the airport or through the mall, and somebody's by themselves, and they're, and they're mouthing words to themselves? And you think, they're kind of crazy. We ought to be doing that more, I think. Reciting scripture, talking to the Lord uh, uh, without ceasing, with our voice. We need not fear enemies or be anxious in trials when we know that God hears us. Uh, he heard me, verse 4, from his holy hill. We'll come back to that in a moment. Verse 5, again, this is still the theme of David trusting. Because of all this, David can sleep. And here's something else that's just very practical, very down to earth. I lay down and slept, I awoke, for the Lord sustained me. Again, think of the actual situation here that David has. D David has fled the city from uh, an army of 10,000 who are out to get him, to kill him, so that Absalom can be king. He, he's fled, but he's not, Absalom's not far behind. And it's very possible that if God doesn't confound the wise advice of Ahithophel, uh, that Absalom will keep pursuing David and take... A, to, uh, overtake him in the middle of the night and kill him. And so David had prayed about that for his safety. That story is all there in 2 Samuel. And then he trusted God and he went to sleep. <laughs> I don't know, would you be able to sleep 
If your own son has betrayed you, is trying to take over your throne, is trying to kill you with an army of ten thousands, David goes to sleep. It's astounding. When he wakes the next morning, he's extra thankful. He's not surprised, but okay, I'm still alive. I know that God is hearing me. We're still here. <laughs> and, and God has heard me. David faces these trials uh, with a great deal of peace. Jesus did too. That same foundation of peace. Did that mean their soul was never troubled? No. We know that in the Psalms. Jesus himself tells us, my soul is greatly troubled. But there is peace in the midst of that. Uh, they know that God is their shield and that God hears them. So the means of grace in hearing his word and calling to him and pouring out your heart in distress, these means of grace give us great comfort so that we can sleep even when a military coup is staged against us. <laughs> and again, the spiritual trust results in physical effects. Good sleep. So I think our discipleship, we often don't think of this. We put it in the medical category and somehow that's a little bit different than discipleship. But it shouldn't be. Discipleship should include this third of your life when you're sleeping. Right? You can sleep because God doesn't. You can pray for restful sleep, for restful dreams, because good sleep affects your next day. You can thank God in the morning for good sleep. If you're not sleeping well, you need to think about that in a spiritual sense. Is there something worrying me that I haven't turned over to God in prayer? could be a good question. Uh, sometimes it's no spiritual thing at all. It's, it's a medical thing, but sometimes it is. Uh, God is a shield around you. Remembering providence and, and praying makes that shield more visible and comforting to us. And verse 6, finally, notice, I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. <laughs> wow. Uh, here we see that David's trust is not a matter of minimizing the danger. It's not like David is in denial. He knows exactly what's going on and how bad and how dire it is. Right? He's not minimizing the danger. He faces this fact. But God's protection outweighs all of that. That's the astounding thing. You know, if we're in David's position, I, I think I would be tempted uh, to write a pretty long Facebook post, all kind of like verse 6. There's 10,000 against me. It's really bad. I'm going to trust you, but there's 10,000. This is happening, and that's happening, and it's bad here, and it's bad there, and, and, and all the focus is on how bad it is. David does the opposite in Psalm 3. Most of the psalm is God's goodness, crying out to God for help, yes, and a little bit of description of the trouble. <laughs> and the trouble is 10,000s against him trying to kill him. But all that's outweighed by the greatness of God, by crying out to him, by what God can do. David's trust is not simply a matter of, uh, I have faith in my heart that you will take my sins away. That's important. But his trust uh, puts in perspective his life, his circumstances, his trouble. You take into account what God has said, what God has done, what he will do. And that changes everything in our perspective. Well, that's the, the trust aspect. There's also the truth in verse 7 and 8. Uh, you have struck all my enemies on the cheekbone. 
Uh, you have broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongs to the Lord. David recalls to mind what is true. And it's past tense. That's why I put this in the truth category, right? You have struck. So it's a little unclear here what's, what, this, what he's referring to. Uh, David is either remembering past victories where, where this has happened and drawing confidence from that, or he's so certain of victory in the present that he speaks of it like it's already done. We're not really sure which it is. It could be both. And that certainty is warranted because uh, the prophet Nathan had said that his child would die back in the Bathsheba incident, right? He had said that there would be violence in David's house, but David said nothing about, or Nathan said nothing about David losing the throne that God had promised him. God is true. So it's a lot like Abraham taking Isaac up the mountain. And it looks like the circumstances calls for Isaac's death. But God has already said there's going to be nations that come through Isaac. So Abraham trusted. Somehow, God will make his word true. And he does. In our case, we can say the same. That in Christ, God has struck all our enemies. Right? In the cross of Christ, the serpent's head has been crushed. That is found foundational bedrock truth. Does that mean that God is always on our side in every disagreement that we have? No. Does that mean we have the promise of an earthly crown? No. Does that mean that we have the promise to, of escaping death? No. Remember, again, Job, what God allows in our lives for his mysterious and good purpose. In this world, we will have trouble. But what is true is that the accuser is thrown down. And on this fifth Sunday of Easter tide, it's because Jesus was raised from death that we need not be pitied. Our faith is vindicated and true. And as we walk faithfully, repenting of sin, God promises to bless us. So uh, this is true. Uh, the other thing that's true in verse 8, salvation belongs to the Lord. Uh, this means that salvation is his to give. Uh, I'm crying out for help in this situation. How you help, if you help, when you help, it's all up to you, Lord. That, that's what David is saying. It's also good to remember in our uh, theology, in our doctrine, and I turn to the great Charles Spurgeon for this one. Spurgeon uh, comments on this verse. He says, Our opponents say that salvation belongs to the free will of man. <laughs> but we hold and we teach that salvation is from first to last, in every iota of it, belonging to the Most High God. It is God who chooses His people. He calls them by His grace. He quickens them by His Spirit. He keeps them by His power. It is not of man, neither by man. Not of him who wills or runs, but of God who shows mercy. Very important truth to keep in mind. Uh, Jonah says this also in the belly of the fish. He says the same thing. Salvation is of the Lord. <laughs> and it's interesting to me that those two uh, men say this when they're at the, their lowest and their most direst need. We trust God. So, notice back in verse 7, there's a little bit of uh, Jesus and me going on here, right? Uh, three times, uh, save me, oh my God, you've struck my enemies. There's a lot of me talk here, uh, in, and there is a fair bit in the Psalms, especially the Psalms of Lament. I spoke when we uh, 
looked at Psalm 2 a couple weeks ago, about the full-orbed gospel, right? That Jesus is king, that the gospel is not just about your personal salvation. And that's true. He's the king of the universe. Uh, the flip side of that coin, as the songwriter puts it, is it is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. Also true, and we need to apply that to our personal lives. Uh, those more on the Kyperian side of things could get a little critical of David here and say, why are you truncating the gospel that way? Why are you always thinking of yourself? Me, me, me. All your worship songs are all just Jesus and me. Well, uh, we don't want to criticize overly much that way. It's right there in the Psalms. When we're in trouble, when our friends are in pain, our focus naturally narrows to that wound. And we have a hard time not thinking about ourselves when we're hurting. That's very true. Don't be one of Job's friends and kick others when they're down. Why are you being so selfish? Don't you know others have it worse than you? No, no. Cry out with your friend for them. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So we're back into trust a bit here. David is trusting his God. And we don't trust because we can figure it all out. There's more Spurgeon to talk on this. Spurgeon says, we always want to see through providence, don't we? You never will, I assure you, Spurgeon says. You do not have eyes good enough. You want to see what good that affliction was to you, but you must believe it. You want to see how it can bring good to the soul. You may be enabled in a little time, but you cannot see it now. You must believe it. Good word from Spurgeon. Uh, and David does this. Arise, o, o Lord. Save me, O my God. Salvation belongs to the Lord. One last thing before we uh, close is how to trust God. How do we have this kind of faith? Uh, well, uh, in one way, it's simply God's to give, but we can exercise that trust in prayer. And that's the, the big picture of the, the book of Psalms. We have right here uh, prayers that we can lift up to God to exercise our faith, to grow our faith. Jesus accomplishes our redemption on the cross. He applies our redemption when the Spirit brings us into his benefits. He does this with the word, with the sacraments, and prayer, our confessions speak of. God gives us these to come to him. Prayer is a way to trust God, a way to strengthen your trust in God. If you're not sure, again, what does Jesus say? He gives us the Lord's Prayer. That's a good uh, place to start. And the book of Psalms as well. Prayer should be an exercise of trust. Uh, closing illustration that uh, might apply. I hope this works. <laughs> uh, and that's from our modern world of buying things online. I think there's a way to consider this as as an analogy, uh, an illustration of prayer, right? When you buy something online, you just do the clicks, right? And you see the screen says order confirmed, right? Shipping in two days or seven days, whatever it is, right? So the transaction's done. But, but having the box in your garage is a different matter. It's not there yet, Right? I think sometimes we tend to put a little bit more faith in Amazon than we do in God in prayer. You've offered it up to the Lord. The transaction's done. I'm not saying he's going to guarantee he's going to give you anything you want, 
But I'm saying, you, you've done the transaction. You've talked to God about it. Now that burden should be off of you. Cast your cares on the Lord, right? And he will care for you. So, uh, prayer. Uh, we, we need to uh, offer up our prayers. Trust God uh, and trust the truth of his word. We have blessing after blessing. The last line of this psalm, again, like the others. Uh, this is three psalms in a row now. Blessing every time. Right? It starts with, blessed is the man, Psalm 1. End of Psalm 2, blessed are those who put their trust in him. And now here's Psalm 3, your blessing is upon your people. So we have trouble, like David did. We can cry to the Lord for help as he did in trust. Only he can save. In trial we can trust God because he is true. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Uh, thank you that your word is truth. Thank you for depicting for us so vividly uh, the trouble that can come to your people. Uh, we can be in great distress. And we pray, Lord, that uh, you would give us the grace to turn to you in our trouble, uh, to not uh, look around and complain and be dismayed within ourselves, uh, to not look around and compare to the trouble of others, uh, Lord, uh, help us to turn to you and to know that in your word, in communion with you, we will find refuge, uh, we will find help. Uh, help us, Lord, to turn to the cross, most of all, to the empty tomb, to see what you have done for us, that you have taken on uh, our anxieties, you have been the one who bears our burdens. And so, uh, as you have done that, Lord, we pray for the grace to cast our cares upon you. All this we uh, lift up before you, Lord, in the name of Christ. Uh, and it is he who taught us to pray. And so we say, For our communion exhortation, I'm reading from Genesis 15 the story of Abraham. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? Then Abram said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, this one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars, if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. And then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of the Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? So he said, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Thus far the reading of God's word. Abraham's trial was waiting 25 years for his first child, which God had promised. God's word was true. Abraham trusted him. He also gave Abraham a way to trust him every night with the stars and with the sacrifice that he offers to confirm his promise.
We have the same promise as Abraham, now fulfilled in Christ's sacrifice at the cross. God has given us a way to trust his work at the cross here at the table. Every week here, we speak his words and pray, renewing our covenant with the Lord, recalling his promises, our duties. And we do not look at this table, but we look through it to Christ, just as David did not look at the ark, but through it to Yahweh. Abraham did not look at the sacrifices, but through them to the Lord. So taste and see that the Lord is good. Whatever your trials, recall here the truth that conquers them all. Jesus died for you. We do invite you to the Lord's table, all those who are baptized and under the authority of Christ and his body, the church. By eating the bread and drinking the wine with us, you are acknowledging that you are a sinner without hope except in God's sovereign mercy, that you are trusting in Christ alone for salvation. So come and welcome to the Lord Jesus. Thank you for listening to this audio recording from Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in this recording, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact us through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.